Thank you, Elsie. This Advent season, we've been looking at the nature of God, uh, how we know who God is and, and what he's all about. Uh, we looked at God revealed, revealed in nature, the heavens declare the glory of God, but also revealed in the Bible, the spectacles of Scripture, revealing God's nature as a trinity. Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so united, so intimate, so loving that they become one God. Last week, we looked at what it meant that God is Father, our Father, and the fact that Christ actually has two fathers. God is his real father, but when he becomes a child, Joseph becomes his adopted father. And that that is a picture of what it means to be a Christian, that we are adopted by God. That's how we got to call him Father. And that we become part of the Christian family. We are adopted into God's family. Christ is adopted into the human family and becomes subject to all the problems that we have. This morning we're going to look at uh, what it means that Jesus, the Son of God, is the Son who comes into the world. Why did Jesus come into the world as a Son? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. These are the first words that I seriously read in the Bible, and uh, they had a great impact on me. As many of you know, um, I grew up in England. Uh, for the first 30 years of my life, I was an Englishman. I'm now a dual citizen. And um, as an Englishman, I was taught at school that God was an Englishman. Uh, there are only two requirements for school in England. One, you have to have physical education. You have to learn sports. And every school is required to teach every child about God. And so from an early age, I was taught all about God, except most of the teachers were not themselves Christian. And so what did they do? They taught morality. God was an Englishman, just like you. God was like your school principal. God was like a policeman. God was this power of order and justice, and you better be good, otherwise God will get you. And if I thought about Jesus at all, he was like a really, really good kid. He was like God's kid, and therefore he was brought up to do the right thing. A goody two-shoes, I had no time for him at all. And as an Englishman, I thought that's what Christianity was. That is what it was all about. It wasn't until much later in life, particularly coming to America and running into Christians. Americans, by the way, love to talk about Jesus. When I was 18, I hitchhiked from New York to San Francisco, and you would not believe how many Christians picked me up so they could tell me all about Jesus. I thought they were insane. But anyway, I grew up, I learned a little bit about the world, and I began to take God seriously when I started to hurt, when I went through some difficult times in my life. 
actually became a Christian across the river in Manhattan under the teaching of Tim Keller. But it was these words that expanded my idea of who Jesus was. Because here, we don't just see some goody-two-shoes, some morality, some example of what it means to be a good human being. Here we see a cosmic Christ, someone who creates all things. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That he is the second person of the Trinity. First is Father, the second is Son. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. You know, the Bible begins, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the heavens declare the glory of God. What do these words say? In the beginning, he, the word, that uh, English word, word, is the Greek word logos. It is from where we get our word logic, meaning, the order of things. The reason that the heavens declare the glory of God, the reason that our universe is so beautiful, is because of the logic of Christ. Through him, through the Logos, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. You know, when I was growing up, I was told the, accident, the universe was an accident, some kind of cosmic accident. And human beings are accidents too. But there's always been a problem with that. If the universe is an accident, why is it so orderly and beautiful? And if we are accidents, if our brains evolved by accident, how is it that our minds can understand this beautiful universe? How could monkey brains come up with cosmology and quantum mechanics? What is the connection between what goes on in our head and what goes on up there? There's no answer to that, by the way, unless you believe in God, who created us and created the cosmos. He is the link. He is the logic. He is the word. By the way, it was thoughts like that that made me open to the idea that maybe I didn't know everything as well as I thought I did. But why would this cosmic Christ show up as a child? Here we are at Christmas. It's all about babies. It's all about being born in a manger. Why a baby? Look at verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. How could we receive him? If Jesus had shown up in his true nature, you know, a majestic king at the head of a celestial hosts, some great pulsating orb of power, uh, something so transcendent that it blew our mind, how could we possibly have received him or understood him? You know, I think most of us dramatically overestimate our ability to handle reality. Most people 
get nervous and tongue-tied when they meet powerful earthly people, when they meet celebrities. You'd be amazed how many people I ask to stand up here and just talk to you, and that it, the idea terrifies them. If that is true, how could we possibly meet this God who created all things with a word, who is Lord of everything, who is omnipotent, who is infinite, who is perfect in every way? Could we really encounter such a God, such a personality? I was, uh, I was told a, a little kind of fairy tale illustration of this point by a preacher a long time ago. He invited us to imagine the prince of a mighty kingdom who travels the realm to, to learn what his inheritance will be. And he falls in love. There's this an ordinary woman in an obscure part of the kingdom, and he falls in love with her, as happens in fairy tales. And he has to figure out how to start a relationship with her. What if he shows up as a mighty prince at the head of his retinue of courtiers, the whole majesty of his person and his army is going to blow her mind. What could she possibly do? How could she possibly think about having an honest relationship? Well, maybe he could show up in secret. Maybe he could pretend to be an ordinary person like her. But then the relationship would be based on a lie. It wouldn't be love. There'd be no truth in it. The only way it could really work is if he gave up his power and his majesty and he became like her so that they could have a relationship. And that's what the Bible says that Jesus did. Christ, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and he humbled himself. Now, in fairy tales, love is easy. In fairy tales, people fall in love at first sight. Their first love is always true, no matter what the cost, no matter what the obstacles or challenge. Love triumphs, and they live happily ever after. But that's not the way it works in real life. You know that. In real life, love has two problems. Relationships have two big problems. Shame and fear. As the Bible claims, and any counselor or psychologist you talk to will agree, shame is a universal feature of human beings. In fact, a person who is literally shameless, who cannot feel shame, is pathological will never make a relationship with anybody. Why are we ashamed? Because all of us carry baggage. All of us carry things that we're not proud of, things that are not right, things that we've done or thought, circumstances we've been through that have left their mark on us. And so because of shame, relationships are hard. We fear that we're not good enough that if a person gets close, they're going to start seeing things, things that are not pretty, that we're not smart enough, that we're not clever enough, that we're not together enough. We feel 
that if we truly get close to somebody and reveal who we really are, they will be repulsed. They will stop loving us. They will stop liking us. They will reject us. They will leave us. And so shame leads to the fear of rejection. And this is the vicious cycle of humanity. We're social creatures. We long for connection. We long to be loved and to love, to get close to other people, to share ourselves. But we fear rejection because of our shame. We fear getting hurt. We avoid. We shift our attention onto other things. We withdraw. Neil Postman wrote a wonderful book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, where he points out that most people, most of the time, just distract themselves. We go shopping. We remodel the kitchen. We buy a car, get a new outfit. We drink too much. We eat too much. We pop pills. We go to therapy. We become driven at work as we transfer all our energies and attention to our careers or to our families and look to create perfect children, perfect family, perfect marriage, perfect home. We do anything to avoid facing our shame, facing our real fears, our fears of rejection. But of course, intimacy, connection, relationship depends on self-revelation, depends on being vulnerable to another person, letting them in, letting them see who you really are. We desperately want to reveal ourselves and others to reveal themselves to us, but we're filled with shame. It's a vicious circle. It is human nature. It is the human condition. So have a happy Christmas, drink a lot of eggnog, eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow you will die. Uh, That would not be a good way to end the sermon. So there's some good news. There is a gospel. God knows exactly who we are because he created us. And he knows exactly what we want because he himself as we've seen, is a trinity, a community, a family, a set of relationships so intimate, so vulnerable to each other, so open and transparent, that three become one. That is God's very nature. The Bible says God is love, a love that circulates between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity. He knows exactly what we need because he made us for that. So what does he do? He enters our world. Not as some majestic, glorious king that's going to overwhelm us. Not as a lie. Not pretending to be like us. But as a child. He comes alongside us as vulnerable as it's possible to be. Wholly dependent for his existence on human parents on the care and attention of the human family, vulnerable enough to be betrayed by a kiss, wholly vulnerable to all the problems of human life. That's why Jesus shows up as a baby, to come alongside us. You know, I read a story a while back about uh, a SEAL team 
You know, the SEAL team's job was to rescue hostages. And they're on this mission, and they storm the village where the hostages are being held, and they storm the building where they are, and they break down the door to free the hostages. And they go in, and the hostages don't move. They're all curled up on the floor, covering their faces and their heads, absolutely terrified. They're frozen. They had been prisoners in the dark in that room for so long that they were terrified, filled with horror, frozen in horror. They didn't move. They didn't respond. And the seals are like looking at each other. What on earth are we going to do? Too many to carry. We've got to get out of here. But instead of running away, each seal entered the room and got down next to a hostage and laid in the dirt, looking into their faces until they made eye contact. And then each one of them made a promise. If you trust me, if you follow me, I will take you home. That's what it took to break down the fear and the horror and the terror of what they've been through. They had to make themselves like the prisoner to come alongside them, to establish that connection. And it worked. And they got all of them out of there. To make a connection, to establish that relationship, somebody has to go first. Somebody has to be vulnerable first. Somebody has to show that they love you and they care for you and that they're there for you. And that's what God does through Christ. That's the reason that he comes so vulnerable and as a child. He is inviting us into a relationship in the least threatening human way it's possible to, to be. Who doesn't love a child's smile? Who doesn't want to spend time with a kid? And if the measure of true love is the courage to make oneself vulnerable for another, then Christ reveals a very large heart, a vast courage, an unfathomable commitment to relationship and intimacy and to taking care of us. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's the gift. That's the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that through Christ you have drawn near to us, that through Christ you have made yourself vulnerable to us, that through Christ you've not only revealed who you are, but you've revealed a love and a commitment that we can scarcely imagine. We thank you for that truth. We thank you for what Christ reveals, and we thank you for the gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now, as we continue to worship, we are going to receive an offering. Sinful, broken world. Sorry about that. We are now going to receive an offering. The offering is a chance for members of this church and friends of the ministries of our church to support those ministries. If you're a guest or a visitor, please don't feel obliged to give. Think about what you've heard. Enjoy the music.
This is the Lord's table, the family table, the family set by Christ 